Um, today we're going to be reading from Matthew 23, 25 through 26. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean out the inside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, then the outside may also be clean. And also from Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Jenny. For a lot of weeks now, we have been on ideas and thoughts and rationales and doctrines and arguments uh, for why we need to listen to this um, way called Christianity. And we've done some really good thinking on some really tough subjects about Christianity, but what we haven't spent a lot of time focusing on yet is experience. Because for every intellectual issue we come up against, there's not only logical reasons and truths to factor in, but every one of us always factors in also our experience. And much of the time, it's our experience that is the trump card. We've had a lot of rain lately. How many of you know that? Yes. Um, uh, and when you have a lot of rain, you have uh, a lot of low-lying you know, areas that fill up with water. And let's just say that I know a younger driver without much experience, okay, in the last few weeks who came to one of these low-water crossings um, during these recent deluges, and he surveyed the water in front of him. And you know what he thought. I think I can do this. Um, I think I can get across. Surely, I know the road. I've been here a hundred times. It doesn't look that deep, right? And what did he do? Oh, you know what he did. Yes, this young driver without much experience went across, and you know the story, uh, vehicle toast, okay? How many of you have <laughs> been there a time or two, right? Now, here's the thing. Do you think that that kid will ever make that mistake again? It's funny, as I've been talking about this idea with people this week, it's just come up in normal conversations. And to a person, they have talked about those times that they've done something really dumb like that, and they've said, but never again, right? That's what experience does for us. Um, the facts, the logic, the water, the road, the kind of car in the future, he will factor all of those in, but even if all of his logic says in the future that it's okay to cross the water, what's he probably going to do? Nope been there before, not on your life. I'm turning around and I'm finding no other way. Uh, experience has a way of trumping even rationale and logic. And to every issue we face, we, we bring these intellectual uh, predispositions that are not necessarily based on rationale and logic. They're based on our experience. And sometimes our experience is so impactful that it overrides all of that logic and reason. And that is no less true in spiritual matters. See, if you have known 
wise and loving and kind and insightful Christians over your experience. And if you've seen churches that are devout in their belief and at the very same time, they are servants to their community, they're civic-minded, they're generous, uh, they reach out and they really do a good work, then what you will find is the intellectual case for Christianity is much more plausible in your brain. Your experience will say, well, maybe I should lean into whatever they're saying because my experience has been good. On the other hand, if your faith experience, if your experience with Christianity is with nominal or maybe fringe Christians who maybe post Christian memes but don't really live them out, or if it's with very self-righteous fanatics, then your experience with the Christian faith, with church, will be something completely different. And when it comes to the arguments for Christianity, when they come your way, they will have a tendency to be very, very... um, questionable in your mind. Those arguments will have to be extremely strong for you to agree that they have any validity at all. Why? Because of your experience. The Barnard Group did a study of why people reject Christianity, and they found this, that overwhelmingly the people who walk away from Christianity do so not for evidential reasons, not for um, logic reasons, but for moralistic reasons. Ones. Now, that's kind of a crazy thought in a world that wants to be anything but moral. And yet, respondents said this, what are the top problems that you have with, uh, with the Christian uh, faith? And first on the list, 91% uh, in this Barna study said the sexual ethic of the Christian religion, that we can't, I, you know, I can't buy that. I just want to do what I want to do. And so uh, that's why Christianity is a problem for me. this was number two response. Christians are judgmental. They, um, you know, I I can't stand their judgy nature, and so that's why I'm not uh, interested. Number three, 85% said the hypocritical nature of Christians themselves was a problem. And so pay attention there. The top three reasons that people aren't interested in coming to church with you are number one, sexual boundaries. I want to do what I want to do. I don't think your sexual boundaries are worth it. Number two, the judgment that they think that they will receive if they do come. And number three, hypocrisy. They see their own lives and they see the lives of Christians around them and they don't see much difference. And so they say, why do I need church again? That's the issue. Modern people contend that the greatest proof that God does not exist is the behavior of Christians. And so, right away, we see that as important as all of the other weeks have been, as important as it is to us to have right answers and sound reasons for believing, it's even more important to have an ability to love people well, because it's, their, it's the experience that people have of Christians and church that will likely determine their receptivity to Jesus. Doctrines about suffering or sex or science, they are all super important. It's just that those ideas will probably never even be entertained if, they, if these people haven't ever had a positive experience with a Christian or with a church. And so, We have to really dig deep today 
And let's explore first what their preconceived experience of a person outside these doors might consist of. And there's one very broad charge against Christianity that shows itself in, uh, at two different levels, really. And the charge is this, that Christians are mean-spirited, they're intolerant, and they're judgmental. And the attack is meant to work um, on two levels, both historical and personal. Now, historically, we could talk uh, the whole time just about this. And what I encourage you to do is to check into the, to the resource list that I will attach to the podcast and pick a source and do some more uh, historical research on your own because I can't really spend a lot of time on this aspect today. It is pretty fascinating. The main gist is that skeptics point to the historical record of Christianity and they say, well, there were these atrocities that were carried out and um, they are, they are, the reason that they were carried out is because of Christians and the thinking goes, why would anyone want to align themselves with a faith that is responsible for all of those atrocities? And we're talking about they'll lump in the crusades and imperialism and witch hunts and the inquisition and, and abortion uh, uh, clinic bombings and those kind of things. Um, it leads Steven Weinberg to, to uh, cynically quip, uh, good people will do good things, bad people will do bad things. But for good people to do bad things, that takes religion. That's the mindset. That's the belief of our culture. Why? Because that's been their experience. As Christians, when the historical nature of things is brought up, I don't want to spend a lot of time, like I said, but there are two things I think we can do. Number one, we need to admit it. Number one, just admit it. There are things over the years that Christians are culpable for, some horrible things throughout history, and sorrow and remorse and confession should be willingly given, okay? But number two, very quickly, amend it. Not only admit it, but amend it. And by that, I don't mean change history. I just mean make sure the record is straight. Alistair McGrath says that one of the greatest tasks confronting the church today is to rescue Christianity from misunderstandings. And that is no more true anywhere but historically. I mean, uh, it's especially true there. Many atrocities that are charged to the church simply don't fit. They're not doctrinal struggles, they're geographical struggles, they're political wars, and casualties are greatly inflated when some people talk about these things. And what we need to do as Christians is to give people truth and to give them the facts. And here's the fact, okay? The last 100 years of atheism has been responsible for 500 times more deaths than the last 500 years of Christianity. That's the truth. The argument against faith is that less Jesus means less war and less violence, but the numbers don't lie. They don't stack up that way. Less Jesus is always a bigger failure throughout history, even when his followers don't quite get his ethic right. The main ethic of Jesus is not to rule to serve. It's to serve. And even when we don't walk that line in a straight manner, Christianity still makes the world a better place than any other alternative. So 
today, the more pressing issue that we want to talk about is not how institutions or movements get away from the highest goal of Christianity, which is that of a servant, but how we as individuals get away from that sometimes. And, and even more than history, it's this personal level that will cause your neighbor Joe and your friend Joe, who is pausing whether to um, realize that Christ is even worth his trust, that will cause him pause more than anything else. He will use your life to try to weigh whether Jesus is worth listening to or not. And so we need to talk personally. And far too often, the person who doesn't know a lot about Jesus has had a bad experience with Christians, has had a bad experience with the church, and that has led them to be ultra-cautious about entertaining this idea of following Jesus. G.K. Chesterton said, the only good argument against Christianity is Christians. And unfortunately, he's right. If we are consistent in our behavior, if we say, here's the name of Jesus, but we don't walk consistently with that name, then people have absolutely all the right in the world to reject all of the wonderful and intellectual arguments that we might lay in front of them. And so, so what do we do? And what I wanna do today is, I wanna suggest that we take these people who have had bad experiences and we trade those experiences for positive ones. And we begin to be positive experiences in their life. And so first, let's give them the experience of confession. Just like historically, sometimes we need to admit that we've done some wrong things on a personal level, admission goes a long way. Now, first, let's define what we are confessing. Hypocrisy is what we're talking about, right? And sometimes we get the idea that hypocrisy is the difference between what we do and what we wish we had done. Like, I, I know I shouldn't do that, but I stumbled into it and I, I, I did that. We think that that's hypocrisy. That's not hypocrisy, that's just sin. That's sin, okay? Uh, sinning is different than being a hypocrite. Here's what a hypocrite is. Hippocrates is the term. It's a theater term that Jesus uses a lot in our text uh, in Matthew 23. We've just pulled a, a, a verse out of Matthew 23. But in Matthew 23, he uses it a lot. And it is a theater term for, and it means this, one who hides behind a mask. One who hides behind a mask. It's an actor in front of the camera. And an actor in front of the camera playing a role is a completely different person than when they are away from the camera and not playing that role. Titus 1.16 captures uh, this difference really well. It says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. It's one thing to say something, it's another thing to live what we say. So hypocrisy is this, when we show something different than who we are. When we show something different than who we are. Jesus reserves his harshest criticism for hypocrites. Like I said, in Matthew uh, 23, he calls the religious leaders and the scribes and the Pharisees uh, 
He calls them hypocrites seven times. He also calls them things like snakes and blind guides and children of hell. It is a relentlessly scathing uh, text. And why is this? It's because the religious leaders of that day were saying one thing, but they were living another thing. They were showing something besides what they really were. They were putting on a mask. And they were playing a role. And in that text where he scathes them, the refrain is this, woe to you, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, hypocrites. It's not woe to you sinners. It's not woe to you who mess up. It's woe to you who sin and then act like you don't. That's the key difference. Can I tell you the place that we're probably most tempted to be hypocrites today? You, you won't, this won't come as a surprise to you, but it's social media, right? And is, is that a breeding ground for hypocrisy or not? I show one thing, but I live another thing. I show the perfect family on my profile, but I live a fractured family. I show the, the, the financial lifestyle of, of everybody's dreams, but then I live the debt. I show the smiling face. I, I show my good side, right? Um, but then I live the depression. That's just acting. And that's what hypocrisy is. Showing one thing, but it's not who you really are. The hope for the hypocrite is found in this verse that we've pulled out today. In Matthew 23, verses 25 and 26, Jesus gives this per- prescription He gives us the antidote for hypocrisy. He says this, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, that's his refrain, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed, they're full of self-indulgence, you blind Pharisees. And here's, here's his prescription. First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean as well. Now, what does that mean? It means to let God do work on the inside. Work on your heart first, and then your outward actions will match your inner thoughts and your inner attitudes. It's to take care of your character first, your inside first, and then let your reputation follow what is inside because your reputation will take care of yourself if your heart is right. It's Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. In his book, uh, Blue Like Jazz, Donald Miller tells the story of of he and his friends when they were in college, and they were in a college called Rend College. It's in the Northwest. And after after the uh, finals every year, the student body would have this festival that was just an all-out debauchery, really, is what it was. It was just you know, school's out, so let's party. And this small group of Christians on campus said, how can we be a part of that, but not a part of that? Do you, do you know what I'm saying? How can we insert ourselves into that terrible situation where everybody's just, it's a drunken orgy. How can we insert ourselves into that and still be a very Christian influence? And what they came up with was a confessional booth. 
And what they did was they built this booth and they called it the confessional booth. And then one of them would stay inside and they took shifts, right? And when somebody came in, they would say this, this is a confessional booth. It is designed to both give and hear confessions. And so people thought that when they were entering, they were entering to be able to confess their sins. But what they said, what these Christians said was, this is a confessional booth. It's designed to give and receive and hear confessions. Would you allow me to start? And then they went from there and they began to confess. They confessed to the history of the church and the bad things that the church has been responsible for, the pain the church has caused throughout history, the mistreatment of people. They said they apologized for things like slavery and misogyny and burning people at the stake and for all kinds of other sins. And after that gesture, an amazing thing began to happen over and over and over and over. The person who thought that they were coming to confess, but was confessed to, began to open up, began to say, you know what? I've been meaning to tell somebody this for a long time, but my dad really, really beat me up bad when I was a kid, and that's had a profound impact on my life, and I needed to tell somebody that. And all kinds of other conversations and other sins were able to take place. Why? Because this little group of Christians decided to take care of their heart first, That's focusing on the inside. That's where we need to begin. And the model for that is Jesus himself. Jesus came on the scene at the very beginning of his ministry in Mark chapter one, saying, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And as historians point out, he wasn't talking to irreligious people when he came on the scene and said that. He was speaking to the most religious people of the day. He was talking to religious leaders and every person, needs to start with this humble admission of his or her mistakes and sins. And that is no less true of us as followers of Jesus. That's where we start. Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And confession, honestly, is something that we should all be good at. We should be excellent at confession. Luther said that all of the Christian life is one of repentance. To get up every day, every morning, and confess who I really am before God. Not pretending, but giving my life again in trust to the Savior. The antidote to hypocrisy is integrity. That word integrity comes from a word meaning integer. It's where we get our word integer. It means to be whole, not pieces, not fractured, but a whole, like a whole number. And that's what we are to be before God. We're to be whole. We're to be honest in every corner of our life. It means to be the same person wherever you go, to come out from behind the mask, to take the filter off when you're taking the picture on your phone, to live consistently with the gospel that calls us sinners But at the very same time, because of what Jesus has done, it calls us heirs of God. Living consistently is to admit that I need rescued and that Jesus is the only one who can rescue me. 
And because he has, I've then devoted my life to him. And when I stumble, I'm honest about it. And lives live like that. Think about it. Look around at the lives around you. Lives live like that are one of a kind. Second, give them the experience of conversation. Give them the experience of conversation. The challenge is how we respond. And sometimes our response can be a little bit snarky. When we hear, well, I'll never go to church because you can fill in the blank for me. I'll never go to church because there's just all, they're just all a bunch of hypocrites. Yes, yeah, that's, that's what they say. Now, one way to respond to that is a little snarky and to say, look, there's always room for one more. <laughs> right? But that's really, let's, let's pull back from that. That's belittling, right? Because there are people who have been legitimately hurt by their experience in the church. They have been hurt by Christians. People say that it was the church that hurt them, but a building really can't hurt you at the end of the day. What they mean when they say that is that there was some person, there was a group of people, there was somebody who hurt them. And it's always always a person, it's always a little group of people that did the hurting. Maybe it's church leaders. Maybe it was their church friends. Maybe it's their own family. That happens a lot. And some of you know that kind of pain firsthand. And not everybody can work through that kind of pain in a positive way and come out the other side. And so some people just end up walking away. Maybe it's a conversation that can change all of that. And when we, when we are charged with hypocrisy, what we really have is an incredible entry point into a conversation of what the gospel even is. I was talking with a CCC or a while back who was having a conversation with his neighbor. And his neighbor had been to a service here and he told his neighbor, hey, I was glad to see you here and uh, encouraged him to come back. And his neighbor replied with this kind of line that we've been talking about. He said, his objection wasn't the service that we had. It wasn't the teaching. It wasn't the theology. It wasn't the doctrine. It was, I, I really, I, don't, I can't see myself ever being a part of CCC because there are too many. And then he mentioned a specific segment of sinner that he had an issue with. And it really doesn't matter what that segment of sinner is. We could put anything in there. There are too many greedy people there. There are too many drunk people there. There are too many thieves, too many gossips, too many liars, too many lustful people there, too many divorced people there, too many murderers, too many addicts. It doesn't matter what it is, okay? But that was the line. And here's what we need to take note of, that when critics begin to point to our hypocrisy, what they're doing, maybe, they, maybe they're not believers, and they're just saying, hey, I'm living as good a life as you. But do you understand what they're pointing to? They're appealing to a standard that they believe should be met. They're agreeing that there is a standard of behavior that should be met by everyone. And what they're pointing out is that I see a few people who aren't meeting that, who haven't mastered that standard yet. And so as we talk to our neighbors and maybe they bring these things up, maybe, maybe some talking tips as you talk to Joe, your neighbor. Maybe we should ask, wait a minute, Joe, where do you get the idea that people should live up to that standard that you have? 
Where does that standard that you're appealing to come from? It can only come from God himself. Now, we talked about this uh, extensively a few weeks ago, that there are moral laws that everybody on the planet and everybody actually throughout history would agree on consistently. And those moral absolutes can't come from crowdsourcing. They've got to come from somewhere outside Uh, humanity because they're too big. They're too universal. Uh, They come from an outside source. They come from a moral law giver, God himself. And what they're doing in their pointing of finger is recognizing that God is the moral law giver, even in their criticism. And so maybe we should help them understand that. If God is giving the moral law, then what we have is a launch pad to talk about the gospel. Because we can talk about the purpose of the law and what it does. The purpose of the law is to point out the problem. The purpose of the law is to point at us and say, you're a thief, you're a liar, you're an adulterer, but that's all the law can do. It can never solve the problem. And the way we commonly illustrate that is with a flashlight, right? A flashlight can point out the problem, but it can never solve the problem. I was standing a window here in the last week or so, and the sun was coming through. It's some window trim. The sun was coming through, so I couldn't really see the trim very well. And I stained as best I could, but then I got a flashlight out to see how I had really done. Guess what? (laughs) There's some spots that I missed. The flashlight pointed out the problem, right? But the flashlight can't fix the problem. It's pretty terrible a method of staining trim to use a flashlight, right? There are moral imperatives that we all live by that come from God and there's nowhere else that they can come from and none of us can live up to them. And God's law only shows that we're in the wrong, that all of us are in the wrong. It says that there are too many liars in the church. And so for somebody else to say, you know what, there are too many liars in the church, I'm never going to go there, you might as well say there are too many people in the church, so I'm never going to go there. God's law can't be completely met by anyone, even you, Joe. (laughs) And the truth of that is an entry point into a conversation about what can help us. The gospel. We're all sinners And we all need to be rescued from sin. And there's a gap in all of us between what God has called us to and what we've done. And that gap ensures that there will always be people in the church that fall short of the standard. The church is not a museum of perfection. The church is a hospital designed to save sick people. And it's the way that we attempt to close that gap That makes all the difference. The gap is not closed by our perfection. We don't go and try to be a better person. I mean, we do, but that's not how the gap is closed. That gap, the way the sinners are saved is not by their skill at obeying God's law, but by Jesus. Jesus came and lived a perfect life. He came and did what no one else can do. He kept the law for us. And Joe... That's why there's even a church. Give people the experience of that conversation. And maybe that will in turn give them the experience of salvation. That's the final thing today. Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, uh, shared a true account of a young college student from India by the name of Pashi. 
and Pashi once came to her and said, you know what, I would like to believe in Christ. We of India would like to believe in Christ, but here's the problem. We've never seen a Christian who was like Christ. (laughs) What do we do with that? She wasn't really sure how to answer that, and so she consulted some other Christians, and they came up with this answer, answer, and it could be useful to you. She went to Pashi, and she said, you know what? The offer to you is not Christians. The offer to you is Christ. Christianity is about Jesus. It's about no one else. When we read about what secures salvation for a person, scriptures always, always, always point to what Christ did. It never points to anything that his followers did. He gave himself, his life, his righteousness, his obedience for us. The essence of Christianity is Jesus and his cross. It's not how people have attempted to follow him and have fumbled the ball. And so we need to judge Christianity by its founder, not its followers. You'd never go to a basketball game and dismiss uh, the game of basketball entirely because some little fourth grader couldn't make a basket. You'd never do that. You'd never dismiss all of medicine because there's some quack down the road selling snake oil out of a wagon, right? Likewise, don't dismiss Jesus because his followers haven't lived perfectly. It's about him. It's not about us. The thing that is happening when somebody refuses to believe based on the actions of another is what scholars call a trivial objection. It's focusing critical attention on some minor point when they're ignoring the main point or the basic thrust of the argument. And using the past uh, Christians' actions in the past or Christians' actions in in the present to determine whether Christianity is true or not would be kind of like finding out that Albert Einstein was a thief. I mean, let's just say that we found out uh, through some source that Albert Einstein, wherever he went, he stole spoons. (laughs) And when he died, there was this huge collection of spoons that he had stolen throughout his lifetime. Would that, now that would be bad, right? He's a thief, but would that change in any way, shape, or form, E equals MC squared? No, not in the least. Imperfect Christian. Don't change the truth of Christianity. Point people to the only thing, the one thing that can save them. It's his obedience, not mine, not yours, that matters. Help them to know Jesus. The actions of followers of Christianity don't change the truth about Jesus. The message to your neighbor is simple. You know what, Joe? In the end, (laughs) it will just be you and God. And the question will be, what did you do with Jesus? The question won't be, what did other people do with Jesus? Nobody will ask you that. God won't ask you that. God will say, what did you do with Jesus? And that's the message of salvation that we need to give them. And then the other way we can give them salvation is to just give them space. Just step back. One of the things we forget if we've been around a while is that everyone starts somewhere. Do you remember your journey with Jesus, right? Do you remember all of the things that it took you years, maybe even decades to learn because you had deep grooves and patterns of life that the ruts were really deep. And those patterns and those ruts, those grooves, they take time to rewrite. 
And so step back, give people, even in this room, give people the experience of salvation. Give them the grace to complete their journey, just like people gave you grace to complete your journey. A guy named Mark Clark wrote a book that uh, we are using as one of our resources for this series, and he preaches at a church in Vancouver. He came from a total non-Christian background, and so not surprisingly, that's what his church is about. He reaches a lot of people who do not have a lot of Christian background or any faith whatsoever. And so you can imagine the kind of people who fill up his pews on a Sunday morning, One Monday, he came in and he got a call from a neighbor. His church is located in the middle of a subdivision. They don't have a lot of parking. And so people have to park in, uh, you know, in front of houses and in front of the houses surrounding the church. And he got a call on Monday morning and it was from an irate homeowner just a few blocks away. And they said, hey, somebody pulled up into my yard yesterday and they were four feet into my yard. They were leaving ruts in my yard. And to, to, on top of that, this guy and his family, he gets out, he gets out of the car and he re, I come out and I confront him. And, hey, why are you parking in my, in my yard here? And he gives me the international sign for, I don't think I like you really well, read between the lines and says, expletive you, man, I'm late for church. On one hand, we could say very quickly and very easily, oh my goodness, how dare him? How dare he call himself a Christian? How could he do that? But on the other hand, I think Tolstoy says it really well. He said this once, if I know the way home and I'm walking along it drunkenly, is it any less the right way because I am staggering side to side? You see, we're all at different stages of the journey. Instead of judging on the basis of what we see, maybe we should ask a deeper question and we should ask, where did this person start? And maybe, maybe pulling up into somebody's yard and shouting expletives is a major step forward for someone because of Jesus. Jesus, when he comes into a life, causes upheaval. Sin comes to the surface when Jesus gets involved in your heart. And things get, get, they get messy. And I think that that's just the evidence of the gospel doing its work. Here's the charge of Christianity. I'm gonna call the band up. And uh, the charge against us is this, that it takes Christianity for good people to do bad things. And it's a charge against the hypocrisy of Christians and the hypocrisy of the church. But here's what I believe is true. I believe that the gospel tells us that it takes Christianity for bad people to do good things. And that's the truth. That's the gospel message. It takes Jesus to take sinners like me, like you, and give them the possibility of actually living in a productive, beneficial, loving way. What we need is more Christianity and a deeper understanding of the gospel, not less. So 
your challenge today is to take off the mask. Be honest. Be the same person wherever you go. Jesus has zero tolerance in the scriptures for the hypocrites, but he has unlimited grace for sinners, for people who will just step up to the plate and say, you know what? I'm a sinner. Determined to be an honest sinner rather than a lying hypocrite. That's what God is after. And in addition, that can change somebody's experience of the church and of Christians and of Jesus. And that's what bless is all about. This word behind me, giving people a loving experience so that they have the opportunity to listen to the only message that might save them. May we be so successful at blessing people that their experience tells them, you know what, maybe this Jesus guy is worth listening to. Father, we thank you that we all come to the plate with junk and yet you accept us just as we are. It was for sinners that Jesus went to a cross and died. While we were enemies of you, Jesus went to a cross. Some of us, oh, some of us have had a long battle with you being enemies. But at the very same time, we know that in Jesus, we are your children. So Father, help us to live into what Jesus has done for us. Help us to live into that status that Jesus has helped us attain. The status of an heir, the status of a child, the status of righteous. Help us to live into that so that other people will see this great savior of ours as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm gonna have you stand, we're gonna sing. And if you have a decision, would you come?